Friday, December 22nd, 2017, time for episode 39 of the Barnhart Podcast. It's not a regular episode, and it's not exactly a Financial Friday episode. It's more like the tech news super nerd episode, but since we don't have a dedicated theme for that, I'm going to use the Financial Friday theme since we haven't used it for a while. And for all you stalkers of Anne who want to launch a copyright complaint about that music, go ahead and contact NBC Universal. I'm sure they have operators standing by to take your calls. Okay, so since the last podcast, we talked about the attack on your website. And Anne, how are things looking from your access point tonight? Uh, can you access the website? Is everything looking good? I can access the website. I can see everything. Um, it, I've noticed it maybe is a little bit drifty from time to time, and I don't know if that's on my end or just some kind of cosmically random thing, but it seems better to me, but you, you know and you have some interesting information to share, so lay it on us. On the last website, or on the last website, on the last podcast, I mentioned that I thought we were done with all the attack information and, and things were fixed, and um, it was a little premature. So I, I said that I mentioned that on the last podcast, the that your website was under a definite attack. There was a flood of requests coming in for image files, but I made the comment that being a super nerd, I should know better here. Uh, that that this shouldn't have affected the script engine on the website because they were asking for image files, and I was a little bit wrong. And I apologize in advance. I'm going to speak geek for about five minutes here, but there is a point to this. Uh, the attack going on is um, I, I, I characterize it as fiendishly clever. Um, you can, if you really want all the details, like one person did and emailed me after the last podcast, I'll tell you about it. Email me at email at uh, supernerdmedia.com and I'll give you more detail. Uh, long story short, uh, the kind of attack that was going on was looking for image files, which should have been very low overhead for a web server. But because it's a WordPress website, and the image, images in question typically don't exist on a lot of WordPress websites. It was, uh, the attack was making it look like these were iOS devices, iPhones, iPads, et cetera. And there, there may have been a lot of those actually trying to hit the website, but they don't hit them in the way that, that uh, the hits were coming in. They were requesting image files, and the way WordPress interprets this is it uses its uh, interpretation engine to say, okay, that file doesn't exist. Let me see if I can find it. And if I can't find it, it returns a result saying, I couldn't find your website. But that's spinning the uh, script interpretation engine the whole time and just pounding away at the website. So we were getting literally hundreds of thousands of requests per day for these image files. And once I realized what was going on, it, by the way, I figured this out before the web hosting company figured it out. I'm, I'm, and I sent an email to them saying, feel free to reimburse me and give me free hosting because I figured this out before you did. Right. I, 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 put the, I actually put image files up there on the website for what was being requested. And within... Three minutes, the the hits on the web server went down by about eighty percent, because the I, I mentioned on the last podcast we were using a a third party service provider, and I'll go ahead and say it's Cloudflare because anybody if if the site ever comes under contact uh, under attack again, there's going to be a clear explanation who's sitting between Ann's website hosting provider and you. It's it's a company called Cloudflare, and they one of the things they offer is what they call DDoS protection or distributed denial of service protection, on the free tier. One of the things they don't do is they don't do caching of HTML content. So this attack was requesting images, which is something Cloudflare will cache and provide, which is why the, the bandwidth went down or the, the, the load on the server went down by 80% once I figured this out and put the images up. But when the request goes through to WordPress for an image that doesn't exist, it sends back an HTML response. So it kept pounding away at WordPress and the PHP process and the load on the server 
until there was actually an image up there. So it was fiendishly clever in that response. And and something else I learned across, along the way is that even though our web hosting provider, which I'm not going to name, they are a, a, um, a partner of Cloudflare. Once I contacted their support again after they deactivated the the website and I explained, hey, look, I, I, I followed the steps you guys said. I set up Cloudflare. They said, oh, yeah, our partner agreement with Cloudflare, when you set it up that way, it doesn't have DDoS protection. So you have to delete that and set it up for real. So I did that. And uh, several of you uh, noticed that the website was unavailable for anywhere from two to six hours. That That's why, because I had to reroute all the traffic through the proper Cloudflare account. Now, I want to say thank you very much to the folks who offered to pay for the non-free tier of Cloudflare in case we needed it. And I told you, hold off on that. Let me make sure that there aren't features. Uh, let me make sure that that the free tier really doesn't offer what we need in the, in the process. For what has happened in the interim, um, we don't need the the, the non-free version. And I, I still thank you very much for being willing to to uh, go to the non-free version. Uh, I do realize what the difference is now between the 20 and, and $20 per month tier and the free version. I mentioned all that HTML caching so that if Ann's website becomes super popular, like everybody throughout the world starts hitting it all of a sudden, then okay, we might need that to cache all the HTML content or everyone decides to attack her all of a sudden. Same thing. But as for right now, the attacks have been uh, handled. Um, it was a combination of fiendishly clever and low tech, the way they were making the attack. Um, so it slipped through a provider like Cloud, Cloudflare and then attacked WordPress until the, the images were up there. So we're, we're good to go in that respect. Um, did you have anything else to add, Ann, on that? Well, yeah, one of the services that Cloudflare provides is that you can kind of see um, where these attacks are coming from. And I think you should tell everybody what the uh, top two, especially attacking countries are. Well, number three is the United States, which, you know, we, we, the, the number one audience for, for Anne's website and this podcast is definitely the United States. Obviously. Number one was the Ukraine because everybody in Russian Ukraine uh, okay, tongue in cheek, Russian Ukraine. Anybody who's Ukrainian is going to be mad at me for that. I, I don't really yeah, mean that. Yeah, just, you just I, made some enemies. <laughs> email at supernardmedia.com. Let me know. Anyway, um, the, the number one source of attacks was Ukraine. Um, you know, when I said that uh, maybe your attack, your, your website was attacked on the random who wants to be attacked this week uh, uh, lottery, and you said, no, it was probably one class of deviants in particular that might want to single mm-hmm. you out because they keep their naughty and nice lists and they are very petulant about who they, who they think are bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember from the last podcast, should it be any surprise that the number two at source of attacks was Italy? Imagine that. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So I think we should, uh, we should give a big shout out to all of the filthy pervert sodomite faggots who are infesting the Vatican and infesting Rome and just say, you know what? Bring it, baby. Bring it. I'm, I'm not going to stop. I am not even remotely going to stop. And on the topic of web attacks and keeping websites going and all the rest, something that happened in the last, was it last week or two weeks ago now? Uh, we've had a little bit of break in the, in the podcast. Uh, recently, the FCC voted uh, on a three to two. It was, it was by one vote. They voted to nullify the change to the net neutrality laws that were enacted by the Obama administration two years ago. And okay, so I have to admit that I just really don't have a thorough grasp of what net neutrality is, why it matters. It's kind of like where I was before with Bitcoin. I mean, I I kind of in very, very 
broad, broad strokes know what it is, but don't really understand the nitty gritty of it. So super nerd, I think I'm just going to turn this over to you. And if I have any questions that I think the audience might have or that I have myself, I'll jump in. Awesome. Well, the when talking about Bitcoin, it, it's kind of like Beanie Babies, but when it all crashes and goes to zero, you don't even have the, be- the Beanie Babies left over to hold on to. You have nothing. Right. Yeah. And if you don't like that commentary, email at supernerdmedia.com. Um, <laughs> so net neutrality, number one thing, and we've mentioned this with regard to other um, discussions, when you get into a uh, dispute of ideas with somebody uh, about a certain topic or uh, recent news item, the number one thing you have to do when discussing ideas is to agree on a definition of terms. And um, I really recommend if, if you, regardless of what you believe on, on net neutrality, if you get, if you encounter somebody who wants to have a discussion or argument about it, whichever it is, um, I would say, let the other person go first, let them define the terms and let them defend their position first. And that just saves a lot of time. If you want to listen to them to see what it is they believe and the problem is that if you ask three people what net neutrality means, you're going to get five discuss- five five definitions of it. And objectively speaking, I mentioned already, the vote that happened repealed the administrative ruling that had happened under the Obama administration's FCC, which would have made the internet service or made internet service providers subject to Title II of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. By revoking that, they are wait. Back- what does what does that mean? What does Title II mean? I think it means common service providers in the same sense of telephone providers. And I will admit, yes, I, I might be a super nerd, but I'm not a super nerd lawyer. Mm. So um, what it precisely that mean? I'm pretty sure title two means it's the same as common carrier. That's the same term that gets thrown around a lot. So for example, if you get phone service, the phone company can't say you're not allowed to call Ann's website or Ann's phone number in the 303 area code. And I just say that up because it's on your website. Right. Uh, or you can't call Super Nerd's number at whatever area code it is, 302 or whatever is on the website right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to offer phone service, you have to be able to uh, allow free and evil, even and complete access to all the phone network. Mm-hmm. Now, if you access premium services, you might have to pay for it, but that's kind of beside the point. In the case of the net neutrality arguments, the biggest uh, bugaboo or the biggest uh, bugbear here is the the Netflix argument, I'll call it. But I'll get back to that in a minute. In terms of how internet service providers provide internet to their customers, two dominant analogies have been made. One is to compare ISPs, internet service providers, to water companies, and the other example is electricity providers. Mm -hmm. So in the case of water companies, the rationale is that by paying your monthly water bill, the expectation is that all customers should be able to turn on their water tap at about the same time and get water. Now, whether or not they can literally all do this at the same time and get the same water pressure is another matter, but I digress. Right. Perhaps a more salient analogy is the electric company. So you play a, you pay a flat rate per kilowatt hour for electricity, unless you live in Arizona, but I digress. Um, the, but the idea is that your electricity bill wouldn't change based on whether or not you have a Samsung TV versus a Sony TV. Because what difference does it make what, what you're using the electricity to power? Mm-hmm. And that's where we get into, I'll, I'll get to the Netflix example in a little bit. Let's go back to the water company analogy for a second. Um, because that one kind of makes some sense in, in terms of analogy. And I, th- I think this will help you understand it a little bit better. So let's say, for example, you are a bottled water snob. And let's say that uh, part of the terms of service with your water provider is that when I turn on the tap for water, I want to get Trader Joe's sparkling water out of my tap. I know this sounds a little bit absurd, but let's roll with it for a minute. 
to do this, the water company would have to actually acquire the Trader Joe's sparkling water and then deliver it through their plumbing system to you. There is Mm -hmm. a definite non-zero cost of making that happen. Right. And let that sink in for a moment. Any time that the, the service provider incurs a cost to provide a service to you, you have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Or the content provider has to pay for it. So in, the, in this case, either the water company has to rely on the fact that nobody else who pays for water is going to ask for the premium Trader Joe's stuff, or they're going to have to, char- they're going to have to charge Trader Joe's to get the water from Trader Joe's into their network. That's pretty much the, the two options that come to mind. There's actually a third. And that is that Trader Joe's says, well, we, it's in our interest to bring the water to you so you can provide it to your customers at a, at a cheaper cost. Okay. Is that making sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, great. Because this is exactly where Netflix lives. The biggest, um, a, a lot of times in these, these uh, net neutrality arguments, you're going to hear the, the, the conflict between Comcast and Netflix. Comcast was uh, intentionally slowing down speeds, throttling speeds for their customers when they try to watch Netflix videos. And now it gets interesting. Continue. (laughs) And and it's a free market because, you know, Comcast is free to provide service levels at what they think is appropriate. And if you are in a situation where Comcast is your only internet provider, then you come into under different um, uh, rules and regulations of, of what Comcast can and can't do. But let's say you're in New York city and Comcast is one of seven different internet providers you could choose. If they are going to be, less than friendly to Netflix and decide to throttle your connection to Netflix to the point that you can't get HD uh, video quality video anymore. It's just kind of cruddy in and out and freeze Mm -hmm. and whatnot. I guarantee you they're not doing that for the spiritual benefit of your soul for not watching Netflix. Right, exactly. (laughs) The real reason is that Comcast is owned by NBC or maybe they own NBC. I forget which way that goes. And NBC has a non-trivial ownership share in Hulu which is the number three streaming service in the, in the country of the United States. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Netflix being number one, who by aggregate in terms of the bandwidth of the, that the end ISP customers actually use, they account for almost uh, between Netflix and, and Facebook. It's almost everything. Um, not everything. It, it's, it's a definitely in the majority of, of the bandwidth consumed. So Netflix knowing this and knowing that um, internet service providers, if, if, their service is the source of the most bandwidth being pulled from across the internet to be delivered down to the end customers of the ISPs. That's going to cost the ISPs a lot of money because in this case, the, the water analogy actually works. Uh, internet or data flowing across the internet costs money to, to, mm-hmm. to flow that data across the, even though it's fiber optics and it's really fast, that, that costs somebody money to have all that infrastructure to keep it running and to have the actual, the, the, the volume of bits running through, that is, that is non-trivial. That, that's a lot of money, especially when you're talking about video, which is what Netflix is all about. Mm-hmm. So several years ago, Netflix uh, initiated a plan. I forget the, the name of the plan off the top of their head. But basically, they, the analogy is they, they loaded up their video on trucks and took them to the internet service providers and loaded them at that point between the internet service providers. So if you, again, going back to the New York example, if you are a, a customer of Verizon uh, internet in New York City. Between the internet service provider provider and your connection at home, it doesn't cost Verizon anything except for maybe the cost of electricity, which is, which is almost negligible, to give you data across their network. So for Netflix, 
if they were to to mirror all of their information, all all, all of their movie uh, library into Verizon New York City's internet service provider exchange, and from that point, Verizon can then make all that content available to you. They don't have to pull it down over the internet because Netflix already pushed it all down to them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost Verizon anything to do it. So you think about this for a minute, U.S. customers, and I apologize for people outside the United States who don't aren't familiar with this uh, ad campaign currently going on. Wireless carriers, um, they're all competing on how much data they can give you, um, how many gigabytes they give you, how fast they give it to you. T-Mobile, uh, I think the fourth largest carrier in the U.S., third or fourth, one or the other. They're, they're, mm-hmm. not, they're not in the top two is the point. Their big selling point right now is that with, the, with their unlimited data plans, you get unlimited Netflix. Mm. Well, uh-huh. think about this for a minute. Net, uh, T-Mobile isn't paying for the bandwidth between Netflix's data center in Canada or wherever Netflix is located uh, as a corporate entity and the T-Mobile network. Netflix has caching points that basically has a copy of the entire Netflix catalog right on the T-Mobile network. So right. So at, like warehouses, it's like warehousing in a sense, yeah? It, it is exactly like warehousing. Okay. And with the exception that is all digital. So if, if um, 14,000 people on the T-Mobile nodes around Chicago all want to watch whatever is popular on Netflix, it's all coming off the same one caching server for Netflix in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So for T-Mobile, they're not pulling data across from the open internet from Netflix down to Chicago and then sending it out to all their customers. It's right there on their own local network. They're not paying anything for it because Netflix made the deal with T-Mobile saying we'll put a copy of we'll put a copy of Netflix essentially inside yeah. your data center so it doesn't cost you anything to actually ship wow. everything to all your customers. They also work the additional detail that if if somebody gets the unlimited data plan then uh, they they get Netflix for free and that that's a separate above and beyond kind of thing. But Netflix has made these deals with almost every internet service provider throughout the United States. So if you're on Spectrum Internet, if you're on Google Fiber, if you're on, I don't know, Roadrunner, do they still exist? Whoever the internet service provider is, everyone who has said yes to Netflix, Netflix comes in with a couple of semi-trailers load or maybe eight. I don't know how many it is. Um, the hardware people who know this stuff could tell me if, they, if, if you want to clue me in on this. They basically put a copy of Netflix in these ISP data centers, and it's not just one for the entire nation. In the case of Spectrum, which I think Time Warner merged with Spectrum, they would put a copy of Netflix in Chicago, one in Dallas, one in Houston, one in St. Louis, one in Memphis, every single major point of access throughout the country. So in terms of, let's say there's one rare video, let's say Song of Bernadette, somebody in, in Atlanta requests that. And it wasn't part of the local caching system for Netflix, but it was part of their ma- their, their master cache system up in Canada, wherever they're located. I think they're located in Canada. I'm not sure then that one movie would be moved across the open internet down to Atlanta, saved in their caching system, and then that one person in Atlanta would see the movie. And then if they are so moved by that movie, they, they email their 400 closest friends in Atlanta, say, go, go to this Netflix URL and watch it. All 399 or 400 of those friends, if they all go watch it, they're watching the copy that just got cached in the Atlanta data center. Point being, okay. you don't have 401 instances of pulling it all down from Canada. Mm-hmm. Great idea for Netflix. Great idea for the ISPs. Comcast didn't want to play that game. They said, no, you're a competitor to us. We're not going to let you get onto our, our 
into our data centers and, and compete at, at, a, at a competitive advantage to you, uh, go away. And we're going to throttle you. Well, okay, so Netflix says if you want premium Netflix service, drop Comcast and get a real internet service provider. Which So ins- let, let me get this straight. It, uh, is this real or is this hypothetical with Comcast and Netflix? No, it's, this it's is not, a real example, it's right? It's not hypothetical because Comcast okay. has, has an ownership stake in Hulu, and Hulu is a competitor to Netflix. So you're you're on your computer, your iPad, whatever it is, and you open Netflix, and Comcast sees that it's Netflix, and Comcast sends a signal that basically chokes your your data stream into your house. Is it, that it, correct? It's priority routing or depriority routing. So, for example, if you are let, let's let's take a military example here. If, if you are the uh, National Security Agency or National Security Command, the, the people who had launched nuclear missiles, for example, um, mm-hmm. their, their ability to access the open wide internet would be more or less unfettered. So the ability to access Twitter and Facebook and everything else would go through at a normal priority level. And same thing, if somebody's trying to push information in, it comes through at a normal priority level. If the president is trying to send a message in, it goes through at A1 top priority, meaning that if there's any congestion on the line, we're going to block everyone else's traffic and get it through as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Because that's you know kind of why they exist. They have to get that traffic through. You can also right. deprioritize traffic in the same way so that if you are, I don't know, let's do the same thing, National Security Command, and our people should not be on Twitter and they shouldn't be on Facebook. So we're going to deprioritize stuff. Even though mm-hmm. we have a 100,000 gigabit connection to the internet, we're going to limit connections to Facebook and Twitter to uh, 56 kilobits per second. Good old dial-up days. Right, right. See, see, how you, <laughs> see how you enjoy that. Well, you can definitely, it's just part of network setting up the network priorities and, and the routings. And I, I apologize to folks if I'm getting way too geek about this. This is kind of, <laughs> this is up my alley. So, but I'm, I'm trying but to the do But th- the I, thing that we've learned is that we have a lot of geeks. What's up? What's up, geeks? We have a lot of geeks in the audience. So, I mean, maybe this episode w- won't be everyone's cup of tea, but I think there are a lot of people who are probably going to listen to this and geek out for lack of a better term. Well, so, I'm, I'm proceed, to, sir. <laughs> I'm trying to make good analogies along the way. So, you know, I talk about traffic priority and whatnot and, and the idea of the whole Netflix and and uh, Comcast fiasco here, and Netflix wants to wants to truck the water into the utility here to provide to the customers at less expense, but Comcast is in the water business too. They don't want to have bring their competitor in. That's why that's why I mentioned that whole thing about Trader Joe's and, and the water utility. Mm-hmm. And and so the idea being here is at at the at, at the network setup, you can either prioritize or deprioritize traffic. So in the case of Comcast, they were intentionally deprioritizing Netflix traffic. Well. It's a free country. They can do that unless mm-hmm. you're under Title II with Netflix, in which case you have this idea that all bits are created equal and you must have free and equal access to everything. Okay. So at that point, you have to stop and ask the question, who's paying for things? Right. That's always the question. When the Obama administration passed their version of net neutrality, which has not gone into effect yet, by the way. And that's something that a lot of the people who are ranting and raving about, oh my gosh, the internet's going to end and this is the end of the of everything as we know it. The Obama rules haven't even gone into effect. <laughs> right. <laughs> These have been repealed before they went into effect. But yeah. there, have some, there, ha- there were some things that really did go into effect as soon as the Obama uh, rules went into effect. Uh, internet providers, I forget who it was, they they put on hold, I really should know this one off the top of my head, it was like a $15 billion infrastructure upgrade that they they were planning to do and they halted it. Because 
if we're going to be just a common carrier like everyone else, why are we going to spend billions of dollars making our network competitively better than everybody else because we can't flex that competitive advantage? Mm-hmm. Why would it be in you know the interest of, uh, let's say, Amazon Video to go do caching servers on every single ISP in the world uh, if there's going to be free and easy open access to everybody? Who are the biggest proponents or who were, I should say, the biggest proponents of saying, call your senators and say, you know, don't allow this repeal of net neutrality to go through. If you follow the money back, it was Facebook and Google were the two biggest ones. Mm. Google has YouTube. YouTube is a video and mm-hmm. they do not cache that at every ISP. Maybe if you're on Google Fiber, you've got a special deal there, but that's a, that's a Google unique thing. Facebook doesn't have internet service providers. They deliver a lot of content around the world. It's still the number one. I don't believe this. It's still my, my faith in humanity is shaken by the fact that, that Facebook is the number one used website throughout the world, not just the United States, but the world. Yeah. And they, yeah. they are also growing in terms of, um, I think they're, they're getting up there in the top three, at least in terms of, um, video content delivered around the world. Mm-hmm. Insane. Yeah. They're not cashing the serv- the stuff at every ISP either. I mean, Netflix took a definite strategic leap to do this, to uh, give them that with Netflix was all in favor of repealing the net neutrality act because, or the the rule, because they had put in so much work and so much money to give themselves a competitive advantage under the old rules. The old rules, by the way, which were 1996 telecommunication act, Bill Clinton. Okay. Yeah. It's not a Republican conspiracy here. Anyway, the, the, the idea here is, is that another way of looking at this is if you want to pay for a fast lane on the internet, you can definitely do it. And that, that was something that would have not been possible under the Obama regime. Um, uh, equal access for all bits. And let's think about another example here. Let's say you want to get into the idea of telemedicine. So you have a, you know, the, 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 the best cardiologist in the world who happens to have his office in Tel Aviv and you've got your heart condition in Cleveland. Um, right. You can't fly to Tel Aviv right now. But what if we can use the, the modern... Uh, technology of, of telecommunications and telemedicine for him to do surgery on you from halfway around the world. I think you want those bits to go through at top priority. Priority, exactly. You don't yeah. want to have those bits waiting on Netflix streams to come through. And that's the kind of thing for which you would be willing, or your insurance company, would be willing to pay a premium to make sure that goes through. It's definitely mm-hmm. a, 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 a marketing advantage there. I mean, it, in terms of the quantity, it's not a lot, but in, in, uh, it, it definitely is, is a marketing advantage to say, hey, if you go to the Cleveland Clinic to, to get service from the best cardiologists around the world, then you will get the absolute fastest possible, you know, highest, highest priority connections because we, we're willing to pay for it. Well, under the Obama rules, you couldn't do that. Yeah. So my opinion is the repeal of the net neutrality rules is a very, very, very good thing. And people who are saying this is the end of the world as we know it, Oh, please. Oh, please. Right. <laughs> just like, just like global warming and all of the other just fake, fake, fake causes and, and concerns that, that just distract everyone from, you know, the fact that civilization is going down the tubes as we know it, but nobody's talking about that. Everybody's concerned about problems that don't exist exactly go ahead okay so either way somebody was going to pay for whatever's going on on the internet and if you have the obama era rules on net neutrality then the isps have to pay for it they have to pay for being able to give 
equal access to all bits. That means they're going to have to basically foot the bill for, for Facebook and YouTube and everyone else who wants to start up their own video service providers and to, to allow them to have equal access to all their ISP customers. What do mm-hmm. you think that's going to do to the price of internet service? Of course. If you are paying $70 a month right now for gigabit internet, you can just wait for that to go to 300 and and then continue going up at that point. Because yep. people who have gigabit internet are not using a gigabit per second every day, all day, for a month. Exactly. It's, it's bursts. Yeah. And I, I can say that because I'm one of those customers. And it's very rare that I ever even come close to saturating that. Even when I'm making full copy backups of your website to, to make sure that it's, <laughs> it's not being taken down or something like that, I'm not coming anywhere close to maxing out my bandwidth because when you've got that fast of internet, you find out that it's actually the servers on the other end that are slow, not your connection. Yeah. But, but the point being is that, is that when you are in a situation where the ISPs have to hand, pay for all the freight for all those bits going around, um, they're going to start jacking up the rate. Now, if you let the free market decide this stuff like it should be, get the government. And but that's the other thing, too. The, these, all these people who are clamoring for uh, not repealing net neutrality, they are, in effect, asking for the government to get involved and for the FCC to take over the Internet and to regulate it. Mm-hmm. These are the same people, not 20 years ago, who are saying government involved in anything is a bad idea. But now you're asking for the government to get involved. When is the last time the government getting involved in something made the, made the problem go away or to get less severe? Uh, never, never, right. ever, ever. Get the government out of here. Let the free market do its thing. You know, if you have internet service providers like Comcast who who throttle Netflix to the point it's not useful, people for the most part can vote with their feet or yeah. the equivalent thereof and switch to a different provider. If you are in a part of the world where Comcast is your only high-speed internet connection, Comcast is under different rules. They are actually considered common carrier at that point, even though common carrier is not applied to all ISPs. So if, if in, um, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because, um, boy, just thinking about back in the day in Kansas and, you know, other rural areas, I was gonna say and, West, you know, thinking about my clients and so forth back in the day in the cattle business, yeah, they don't, if those in, people only have one choice. If you're in West outer Southern Abilene, Kansas, and you've only got one ISP choice for high-speed internet, they operate under different rules. They're also, they also get to charge you a lot more, too, because they are the only ones and because there is nobody else competing to get into the market. They're, in other words, they're, they're, it is a different set of rules. And yeah. the majority of people complaining about the, the net neutrality rules, don't, they're not talking about this. In fact, one of the biggest proponents of repealing the, these net neutrality rules are the rural ISPs. Because they're being handcuffed to the rules that the big ISPs in the, in the congested uh, city markets are, are, are dealing with. Uh, and, of course, if you're, you're Verizon in New York City, you're dealing with um, you know, 800 feet, maybe 1,400 feet between your, your point of connection to the Internet and your customer. Yeah. You're not yeah. dealing with 14 miles from east, western, south, southern, lower Abilene down to your uh, rural rancher um, customer. With, with all the signal degradation that happens across the line and all the rest. That, mm-hmm. It's completely different. So, yeah, get the gov- in, anytime the government is proposed as being the solution, you've got to be very skeptical of this. Well, and I think you also have to ask the question, it, it's always follow the money. Someone has, someone in the government has some sort of a kickback, brother-in-law, some damn thing that they're going to make money 
you know, they're going to be like Harry Reid, never have an honest job in their life, never do an honest day's work a day in their life. And, you know, end up being worth 30, 40, 50 million. There's a, there's a channel between these politicians and bureaucrats and all this stuff back into this somehow, some way. And I'm sure it could be found. And maybe maybe someone already hasn't reported on it and just nobody's paying attention. But it's it's clearly a question. I mean, these people... These people in the federal government especially, they're not intelligent enough to even really care about this or have any sort of opinion. Um, well, the majority of them have never held a public sector job in their lives. Right. Or a private sector, a real job private in their sector, lives. Private they, sector, private sector, yeah. They've been in the public sector for a long time. And and the, these rules really, if we were to go under the, the network neutrality laws, they, they, what they really do more than anything else is blunt competition. So right now, by saying, let the free market decide this, okay, so you may be in a situation where in Eastern and Western, what, I, I, whatever example I use for somebody very rural. So Abilene, may, Abilene, right, prettiest Ab, town Ab, Abilene, I ever seen, Kansas, yes. <laughs> Abilene, Kansas, home of Ike, mm-hmm. Ike whatever. Um, the, the, the Eisenhower Library, yes. Oh, yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so if you're in that situation where you've only got one high-speed landline provider, well, okay, that's high-speed landline. What about wireless? What about satellite? You know, Elon Musk is your friend here. Uh, they, between his SpaceX company and some of the uh, Inmarsat and some of the other ones have been lining up to launch dozens and dozens of satellites. They're waiting to see what was going to happen on net neutrality because if, if it's all going to be all bits are equal and we have to treat them all the same, we're not going to launch our satellites, darn it. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. if you are a rural rancher and, I don't know, you're doing day trading for whatever because that's your thing and you just decide to live there. But you've got to have your gigabit connection. We'll sell it to you over satellite for a very nice fee um, based on what it actually costs us to deliver it to you. But in terms of... Well, just getting coverage in general. I mean, it's really deplorable how much of the United States still to this day doesn't have coverage. You know, Um, I I remember driving driving i-70 driving i-80 and losing you know losing coverage losing a data signal certainly on your phone and just thinking how in the world can there not be coverage can there not be signal when you're driving along one of the most you know i-70 one of the major east-west thoroughfares in the nation how can it be that there's not coverage out here i mean on the interstate itself and now i mean that's talking about data signal going to a phone now we're talking about having just basically internet coverage basically a wireless form of internet coverage everywhere and i think i i think the example given is south korea or something like that i think that you know in the north of 90% of the land area of South Korea has um, over-the-air high-speed internet available or something like that. I mean, don't take that as gospel. Um, we have to confirm that. But the United States especially lags behind terribly in terms of this of just general coverage. And so, yeah, absolutely. Getting, getting satellites up would go a long way. And think about it. You've got, you've got satellites up. They don't do anything to, you know, mar the landscape. They're, they're, just about as benign as you can be and in fact they're 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 kind of lovely i remember going up and camping out in um up in the mountains of colorado where it's just dark 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 pitch black dark and you can you can lie there and look up in the sky and it's so dark that you can see the satellites going over across they just look like you know little stars but they're just 
hauling across the sky in a completely straight line and you can just sit there and watch them and it's it's actually it's really cool but just to think that there could be coverage like that for everyone i mean it's it's where it needs to go so long as we are going to continue on this paradigm of of having the internet and having data like this well the the general idea of letting the free market decide things like this when you say that you know given the the cost of uh, or the the challenge of providing high speed internet to a remote person or somebody out in, in rural abilene western kansas or whatever um, I've, I've made that, that drive actually on, on Western, uh, on I-70 between, uh, Salina and, and Denver and my Sprint phone lost service, right? As soon as oh, we yeah. get west of Salina, yeah. my, my wife laughs at me. He's like, I, I, my, I have T-Mobile service. And, and, uh, but even then if we, if we'd go off the freeway by five miles, she loses service. So the point being, even on those heavily traveled stretches, you know, it's a very narrow bit there. So there's a, there's a definite market, you know, to be able to exploit those un, unreached uh, customers if they care to get it. And that's that's why, where you have to make the cost-benefit analysis if you're a service provider. But if you really let the market uh, all the way around uh, determine what things should cost, then you get into situations like, for example, rather than relying on NASA to put your internet uh, satellites up, you have mm-hmm. United Launch Alliance or SpaceX or whoever else. I think um, the founder of Facebook wants to start launching, not Facebook, um, Amazon wants to start la- launching uh, satellites now. Hey, the more the merrier. These people are coming up with innovations. I mean, Elon Musk, for all the weirdness that he's into, he was the first person with SpaceX to come up with the idea that that the booster rockets can actually be recovered and reused. Mm-hmm. NASA, with all their funding, never even thought to try this because they thought it couldn't be done. It was too difficult. Well, his his land, they come and they actually land upright on platforms at sea. The NASA solid rocket boosters, they would reuse those, but they would descend on, you know, they would descend and then parachutes would deploy and they'd have to go fish them out of the water. But right. um, and, and the idea was it would be months between recovery and being able to reuse them. The SpaceX yes. idea was always being able to recover it on the platform and reuse it within 48 hours. Wow, 48 hours. And I, I don't recall, recently they did a, a functional test of the recovery and getting the, the booster back out and launched again as fast as possible. I want to say it was like four or five days. But even when you look at how long it took NASA and how much how much money that cost, oh yeah, SpaceX is doing this at a profit. NASA, well, I mean, NASA never had a profit, in, profit motive, motive at all. They're just like, hey. And beyond that, NASA has declared that they now want to operate apparently as an organization that's primarily concerned with increasing the self-esteem of musloids or something like that, whatever that announcement was, you know, during the Obama regime. Okay, whatever. Then we we can just write you off um, as basically functionally dead. Oh, yeah, that was um, NASA. One of our primary mission goals is to help musloid children excel in math and science or i mean it's just, it's just crazy crazy okay never mind goodbye thanks let's let's just it, it ended with the space shuttle god bless you it, it it ended in 2011 nasa you're just kind of on the sidelines now we're not going to worry about you anymore and i i really think that that's that's where it is right now well, let it go. Let it go private. And th- and that's that's my larger point here is that that in my opinion the repeal of the network network neutrality ruling that was implemented under the Obama regime but never actually went into effect. This is a vote in favor of the free market. And there have already been multiple companies, uh, AT and T being a, no that was for the tax thing. Um, 
there was one of the ISPs. I, I, I should know this again off the top of my head. It's on Ars Tactica if you want to go look it up. They, they immediately announced as soon as this ruling came down, they are going to plow $15 billion into infrastructure upgrades because, hey, they get to benefit from it now if, if, if it's not just a common carrier situation. Mm-hmm. And anytime you take the government out of the censorship or deciding who's fair and just let let the market deal with this stuff. I mean, we already have antitrust and anti-competitive laws so that if Netflix wants to be jerks to uh, Comcast or vice versa, then, you know, the free market will sort that out. And if Comcast... Which, is- and, and let me interject here. They don't enforce anyway because that's the entire problem with the pharmaceutical industry. And that's why, you know, healthcare costs increase like 9% per year on this continuing curve, which is going to destroy everything. Carl Denninger would be beside himself if I didn't interject that. Oh, yeah, we have all kinds of antitrust laws on the books, but they are they're selectively enforced to the point that it's 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 a criminal enterprise in and of itself. The way the government colludes with and selectively enforces antitrust laws, specifically with the healthcare industry. Yeah, but I think we have that gets into a separate constitutional law argument of of which has which has higher ranking here in law antitrust laws or Obamacare. And I think Obamacare might actually trump that. I don't know. Um, but in terms of, at least in telecommunications, we haven't had the the series of weirdness that has existed in, in, in healthcare and pharmaceuticals. So for the time being, it's a step toward free market. I believe it's a great thing. Yes, Comcast is going to, Comcast is going to have a, a fit about this because, um, they, they are in rival competitions with Netflix, and they may go back to throttling. And customers, if they love their Netflix, switch to T-Mobile and drop Comcast. I mean, it's an, it's an option. Go to go to Verizon. There there are other options in the world. And if you don't have an option, actually Comcast can't throttle you at that point. Not not as easily. But the, the point being, the more the free market is allowed to do its thing, the better for the most part. And I just also have to throw in, because I would feel guilty if I didn't say it, You, in my opinion, people shouldn't have any sort of um, cable or satellite service coming into their house anyway, because at the end of the day, you are subsidizing um, just Satanism, basically. I mean, it, it and it isn't even if you in your household, this is my lecture, even if you in your household do not watch the gay channel, this, that, the other, all of this completely horrible, evil stuff every month when you pay your bill, you pay for everything that's in your package. Therefore, you're subsidizing, say, for example, the gay channel, the gay channel gets four cents a month from you, which means that you're you're subsidizing the gay channel, which means that the kids that live next door to you, um, they're also going to have access on their basic cable package to the gay channel, which you help subsidize. And so, you know, the whole the whole cable and satellite thing in general has become so evil and it's it, I've said before on the podcast, it's really encouraging to see how many people are cutting that aspect of it. Now, the other side of that is, of course, Internet access. Um, and we are working off the the assumption here that people are now going to continue to use Internet to stream in, you know, television shows, movies, whatever it is that you're you're watching, whatever media consumption you have. And I mean, certainly I have to have an internet connection. Obviously, we're all we're sitting here doing a podcast and I have a blog. So, yeah. Um, Although we must be doing it right because the, the number of people who when I made the comments in the past that we're, we're doing these these discussions over Skype is like, oh, wow, you sound like you're in the same room. So cool. Yes, <laughs> we're, I'm, do, we I'm are doing totally, something right here. Totally Skyping, totally Skyping. Um, so 
yeah, it's is it the same company for some like for a lot of people, especially people who are out in the rural areas, um, it is a Comcast, it is a cable company, but I think that <laughs> excuse me, there's a difference between you know paying for the Comcast cable television and all of that crap content and having your money go there there's that is different from just having a an internet access that you then use and you have complete control over what content comes into your home um i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm just trying to justify my own existence and all of that but um it does seem to me that there is a precision to be made there well, I, I think the larger point where I was getting at, and I, I don't think you disagree, is that uh, anytime you have free market and competition, that's good. Certainly, yeah, absolutely. And certainly repealing the the uh, network neutrality law or, or administrative ruling by the FCC, that's a completely separate thing. It wasn't even an act of Congress; it was a, an administrative act by the FCC under Obama. Anyway, that it, it's it's definitely a move toward free market and, and letting the the market decide things. Um, as, as something else that happened recently that is doesn't involve government oversight, but it definitely involves a lack of competition because there are fewer competitors in the market. Disney and 21st Century Fox had a deal recently where, where Disney, I forget what is it, $15 billion, how, how many billions it was, they purchased the digital assets of 21st Century Fox. So basically it, it really boils down to everything except for the news and sports division of Fox is now going to be a part of Disney. So all of the, the movie properties, the TV networks and everything else is now part of Disney. Uh, part of that also was Disney now has a majority ownership of Hulu. You've heard that name previously in the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, Disney has been wanting to spin up their own uh, streaming service, whether or not Hulu has the caching systems out throughout the ISP, like uh, throughout, throughout the internet, like uh, Netflix does. I don't know. I've, I've read and, on websites uh, many times that Netflix is a gigantic buyout target at this point because they are the biggest streaming service that is not owned by uh, a media company of some sort with the exception of Amazon and Jeff Bezos isn't going to sell uh, prime video. So the, the idea being whether it was NBC universal or Viacom or Disney acquiring Netflix just to prevent their competitors from getting it could still happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, Disney, Disney is owning so much content at this point. And, and you say, okay, so big deal. One company owns a lot of content. They can provide it over their own streaming service and whatnot. It also means they can shut off back catalog stuff they don't want to, to um, make available. So I made, I made the, the Like Song of Bernadette. And, uh, that's you know, exactly where I was going yeah, with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if they just want to make, um, you know, culturally updated, um, cultural um, politically correct content available for free and th on their free Hulu tier, guess what? You're going to have to pay more for other stuff if you can even get it. And, and some of the good stuff is just not available anymore. So that's something to look forward to. Less competition means less opportunity to see good stuff that's in the back catalogs of, of other companies. And it's, it just means that the, the content coming out is all going to be millennial social justice warrior stuff. And if you have any question about that, go see the latest, don't go see the latest star Wars movie. It's a piece of garbage. And I really don't have a problem. Now we should plug your that. essay. You should plug your essay that you wrote. I, yeah, I, I, I it's a rant. <laughs> I, it's pretty good. It's I, pretty good. I admit that I'm a star Wars nerd and, and uh, it's, it's something I, I got into in, only in the last couple of years. I, I wasn't one of these people who's been reading the book since the mid eighties. In fact, I've really haven't read, many of the books. I've read a few of them, but, um, I, I was, I was really captivated by the possibility. I, I bought the, the hype that maybe this, this, uh, latest one, the last Jedi was going to be 
um, bigger in the franchise than even the last Jedi. And, and, um, the, the friends of the few friends I have that are big star Wars fans, we, we've, we've talked from time to time. It's like, how cool would it be to go back to 1980 and to be in the cinema when Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father. Mm-hmm. That was such a big secret that even on the set, that wasn't what the, the actor said. It was mm-hmm. the, the actual line was, he said, Obi-Wan killed your father. And yes. there were three people on the set who knew what the real line was. It was George Lucas, the director, and Mark Hamill. Yeah. That was the only ones who knew. And even James Earl Jones was called in at the last minute to overdub the real line so that the, the sound mixers could get everything into the final cut to get out to the theater at the last minute. And he thought it was a joke at first. So that, that whole big plot twist. We were guaranteed big, big surprises and big plot twists. And oh my goodness, it went from sane to crazy. It, it was all social justice warrior millennial crap. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes about that because um, I'm, I'm not one of these people who says that Star Wars ruined my, or th- this this version ruined my childhood because I wasn't that big of a fan of it. It's only been in the last couple of years I've gotten into it, but it, it was, I, w- I was hopeful that this would be an exciting continuation to what the old trilogy was. And it's like, you guys are going Marvel and DC on it now. It's like, I don't care anymore. Do whatever yeah. you want. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> and you know, it's just now it's such a juggernaut that every every movie is making is making multi billions of dollars. So it's it's just not really any surprise that the quality is going to go down. The thing that I was really worried about, and I have not seen this thing, and I, I will not I will not pay money to see it. And from everything I've heard, I just even if you you know presented it to me for free, pirated or whatever. I wouldn't have any interest in watching it. The rumor that I heard that was that worried me terribly was that the black stormtrooper guy and the new Han Solo guy, what is his name? Po. I can't even remember. Who? Yeah, Poe po Dameron po? is the guy and the, the stormtrooper yeah, is, is yeah. his name is Finn. Yeah, the the joke was that they were they were going to have they were going to be the first gay couple. Yeah, and, that they and, were going to have them hook. And there's a moment I did see the, again, somebody had it on their computer. They had downloaded it somewhere. And I did sit through it and watch it. <laughs> and there's a moment that I I saw clear as a bell at the end of not this one, but the last one where um, the the black guy, Finn, and the new Han Solo guy at the end, they have they have a little moment where there's some eye contact and that was that was the movie that that came out two years ago yeah yeah that it was it it, that looked to me like oh man they're gonna turn these guys fag and that's gonna be the new thing and hey we got one more one more episode to go so well the the good news is that didn't happen the bad news is i don't don't know the rest of the movie no the bad news is not i don't don't know if this is bad for me to say this i would have rather seen that happen and not have the rest of the movie get screwed up i mean there was a joke going around for example okay Mm -hmm. so at the beginning of this movie uh the 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 black stormtrooper was in a coma in some kind of medical bay and there was a joke going around that that the the new han solo guy was going to lean over and say poe i love or whatever what is the fin 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 Fin, i love you and the guy was going to wake up and say i know making a call back to empire strikes back when han and leia had that exchange Oh. Which would have really annoyed all the <laughs> But so fortunately that didn't happen, but unfortunately the movie was garbage. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it but it, it makes sense in a sense. I mean, Disney bought this from this franchise from George Lucas for four billion dollars and by golly they're gonna cash in. And the, the, the last generations who who watched it in the cinemas or on, on VHS, that date you right there, um, 
who watch the movies and were fans or read the books, that's not their target audience. They're going after yeah. the millennials because the millennials will spend ungodly amounts of money on entertainment. And so yep. all of the characters are meant to be appealing to millennials and appeal to their sensibilities. And that's what my essay was all about is like star Wars has gone full millennial here. And you know, I, if you find it entertaining, okay, I, I guess, I mean, I think I'd rather just read a book at this point. And I have just tangentially another rant on this. And this is this whole, the, um, the canonization of Carrie Fisher. I'm sorry. That woman was an absolute train wreck and in many, many respects, a moral degenerate and died a moral degenerate. When they did the toxicology report on her, she had a massive heart attack as people who use cocaine are want to have because cocaine just destroys your heart. The fact that she lived to 61 is probably a miracle. Okay, when they did the toxicology report on Carrie Fisher, she had cocaine, heroin, all kinds of pills. She was... At basically at rock bottom and let's let's not even mention the fact that her she mutilated her face mutilated her face with plastic surgery mutilated herself with botox so that she could when i watched not this one but the last one two years ago um it was painful and embarrassing all of the scenes that she was in because she couldn't move her mouth. Oh yeah. She, people, could, it, she couldn't move her mouth. People have been decrying in advance the possibility that, that uh, Carrie Fisher's character will be played by some kind of CGI animation or computer graphics animation. And then and it in the will be more lifelike. Well, yeah. yeah and, and, and I was going to say that's going to be worse than what we just saw. And yeah, to, to your point about the, the massive amount of drugs and all, all everything else. I mean, you've got to be really strong with the forest to live past 50. To be yeah. able to, to, with all that going on, yeah, and joke she, intended, of course. She lived a life of moral degeneracy. Um, the, the She has one child, one daughter, whom she had because, oh, shock of shocks, she married a sodomite. Um, the woman was always surrounded by sodomites. And again, that that's huge trouble, folks. That's huge trouble. You see these women who are surrounded by gay men, and it's that, that's not good. This woman is not anything that any of us should ever be looking up to. She is the antithesis of aging gracefully. Um, sorry, but no. Um, I, I just, it, 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 yeah, it's sad that she died because it's almost certain that she died in a state of unrepentant mortal sin outside of the church. Um, and that's, let's that talk about the real that. that. That's the real tragedy. And that's the real tragedy, folks. Um, so it doesn't matter how funny and witty she was. In fact, that that makes it all the worse, doesn't it? You know, you have a person who is intelligent and who, you know, had a lot of, of God-given gifts intellectually who just squandered their life in degeneracy and then died the way she did. Um, this is This is not anything to be celebrating or looking up to. Sorry. And on the topic of um, the culturally accepted uh, lifestyles, there was something, this has nothing to do with Financial Friday or, or tech, whatever day it is, something that happened recently in, in uh, Rome. They unveiled their, their latest uh, nativity scene, and um, some people thought your website got hacked when, when uh, you posted an article and then it got taken down. There was a reason for that, but it's back up now. Uh, why don't you explain what, what happened with that? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, this came across the transom. Um, somebody 
emailed this to me and said, I've pitched this to several other people and none of them will touch it. And, you know, it basically had all the deep links that I had, the connection, the fact that the um, Vatican nativity scene was um, pitched by and created by a Benedictine monastery down around Naples, south of Rome, that has been taken over, I'm not kidding and not exaggerating, uh, by a a pagan cult which has co-opted the beautiful beautiful image this icon that they have in this monastery um it's one of the black madonnas um because our lady is dressed in black and this is kind of a popular motif in the east kind of slavic um very beautiful icon but guess who co-opted this thing and has turned this Benedictine monastery and this this beautiful icon into their mascot, Sodomites and Drag Queens. Um, it's called, the the abbey is called Monte Vergine, um, Mountain of the Virgin. Um, and it, it is well-known and extremely public. They have um, gay pride parades, um, and oh, their their biggest gay pride festival that they have, and this is a gay tourist destination in Italy all year round. But their biggest gay pride parade that they have this is so sick on the feast of the presentation on February second. It's so evil. And there's so much about this place that is just absolutely satanic. I was going to say that, that date doesn't make any sense to me, but at the same time, I don't want you to explain it because I it's don't, the I purity don't wanna... of our lady. You know, it's the purification of, of the blessed mother and it's being co-opted by drag queens and sodomites. Well, and they, is, might be a better word. Yeah. So that, that group is who orchestrated this Vatican nativity scene, which is pure homoerotica. Now, something just came across my transom literally like a half an hour before um, we started recording this podcast. Um, the commentator Maureen Malarkey has written a blog post piece um, that's basically it, it. She doesn't name me, but it's it's obviously she quotes me and it's about me. She says, all of all of these people are sending me this article written by this this Catholic blogger who's saying that you know this naked this completely naked man is is homo is pure homoeroticism which it is it totally totally is the whole thing was orchestrated concocted designed by this um, gay I don't want to call it a gay abbey but this this neo pagan cult down there around Naples working in working in union with the Vatican to design this whole thing as a gay icon the all of the gay rights people in Italy are saying oh my gosh this is so awesome we feel so ratified by this literally okay when the gay rights people are saying yes this is a nod to us um hello that pretty much confirms it right there but what this Maureen Malarkey um lady wrote in her blog post is that well it, how how can you say that to have nudity in art is homoeroticism because some of us are savvy enough in fact a lot of us are savvy enough to tell the difference between true art and homoeroticism 
And what they have at the Vatican is pure homoeroticism. You've got the naked man, and it's supposed to be the, the justification is it is that it's it's an image of um, clo- clothing the naked. When right, I was naked, you clothed whole, me. The whole motif is the is the um, act, the corporal works corporal of mercy. Corporal works of mercy. One yeah. of which is clothing the naked. But I want to say, not that I've studied the artwork on this, I want to say that the typical image. Uh, pr- uh, proposed in such a situation as an emaciated older man. The whole point is, is wearing the fact rags. That he, wearing yeah, the rags. fact that he's in, he's yeah. in he's in dire need, um, and it's not just the fact that he's not wearing a lot, but he's extraordinarily emaciated as well. So he probably needs hunger or needs food and to you know feed the hungry and shelter to shelter those who don't have shelter, and as opposed to somebody who looks like he just walked out of the gym. Yeah, this the the image that's in the Vatican thing is uh, is a gay man. Oh, by the way, he's completely shaved. You know, completely shaved, and um, he's been in the gym. Well, you know, two hours a day, six days a week. You know, an hour of cardio, an hour of weights. Um, two hours a day, six days a week. Um, that costs money, <laughs> and uh, he's he's clearly getting lots and lots of protein. Uh, so, um, but th- then um, earlier today, s- someone else put in front of me a close up, an image of you know the the one of the motifs, especially in the Baroque, is that there will be angels. And what the representation of the angel will be is what I like to call a disembodied flying baby head. So it's the head of a baby and there's wings behind it. And these kind of are a motif or a representation of angels, right? Someone sends me a picture and I'm able to zoom in on this of the flying baby heads that are integrated into this Vatican nativity scene that are surrounding the Holy Family. And there are four of these flying baby heads. And I go to my website and look at it. Well, these these flying baby heads have boobs. I mean, like big, pushed together, pushed up boobs pouring out and with like a blush and, and you know, um, they're very red and and highlighted and accentuated. I look at that like, you've got to be kidding me. So you've got the, the little baby heads look like little boy babies, okay? And then this business of having these boobs and it's, it's it's just sick. It's just absolutely sick. And you can go, I'm sorry, but you can go into any Baroque church in Rome and you will see flying disembodied baby heads by the score by the score and i have and i have never and i don't think anyone else has ever seen a disembodied baroque flying baby head in a church with boobs it's it's the creepiest thing and it's it's clearly two things it's a sexualization of children obviously because these are babies you know and also since the little boys it looks like the the angels are little boys giving them bosoms is again some sort of a nod to um transvestitism um the mutilation of the body it's, uh, it's may- unnatural maybe, to say the least it's unnatural maybe the whole notion that you know um people with xy chromosomes or masculine masculine can have breasts or just denying and and 
perverting the entire notion of of sex of male and female it's really really gross and i mean we, just when, when you, you say, think that this thing can't get a, any worse and when you say a boy's head with bosoms you're not talking about like a nine-year-old who's 350 pounds and therefore no the, the corpulency of that part of the body comes through no. Like, no this is definitely a feminine attribute with a boy's face oh absolutely i mean and it looks like it looks like an advertisement for, you know, in a Victoria's Secret catalog, if they're advertising their super duper push up bra, that's what this bosom looks like. It's it's really gross. And so I put that up. And I mean, at this point now, it's kind of an afterthought, but I wanted to get it out there into the public record. And just again, anything anything we can do to um, to expose these filthy, degenerate, God hating, blaspheming some of them are literally Satanists. Um, in fact, I saw a comment. I can't remember where I saw it. Maybe it was <laughs> on the comment thread of the LifeSite news piece that exposed all of this the other day. Oh, and the reason why I took my piece down is because um, LifeSite news contacted me and said, hey, could you take yours down and let us break ours first? And that way, you know, it'll just work out better. And I absolutely agree with that because, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, what would you call it? I'm not a straight journalist, obviously, you know, that's not my job. It's not my job to be a reporter. I'm more of a commentator. I'm a pundit, I guess you would say. So yes, absolutely. Let's get the straight reportage out. And I mean, and they got quotes from all the gay groups in Italy, from the people down in Monte Vergine, from, um, of course, the Vatican didn't respond, of course. But, you know, they had all these quotes and, you know, I don't have anything like that. My job is to come in after and then fill in everything that, you know, straight journalists really can't say. I have this this near total liberty to, to say anything. And that's my job. But we need to get the straight reportage out first and then I can build off of that. So we took mine down. We let them get all of their quotes and stuff in. LifeSite went with theirs. And then as soon as LifeSite went with theirs, I was able to come in and, and go with mine. So, yeah, anything I can do to help the cause, man. I, I don't care about hits or anything else like that. Let's just get this information out there. But <clears throat> what I was going to say is I think it was maybe in the comment thread of the LifeSite piece. There was somebody who kind of implied that they had uh, uh, been involved in – maybe Satanism or witchcraft or something in earlier in their life. And the point that they made <coughs> is at a certain point um, when you're involved in the dark underworld and Satanism and all that, you have to start actually publicly manifesting the fact that you are a Satanist and, and that you do and do explicitly blasphemous and satanic things. And he and this commenter suspected that that's what this is, that we're now to the point that it's perhaps possible that the Satanists inside the Vatican. And again, I will say it again so that because I know there are people who just don't want to believe this. There are people inside of the Vatican, prelates inside of the Vatican who actually literally worship Satan and engage in black masses, um, you know, black satanic rituals inside of the Vatican. It's not all of them. Now, most of the most of them, as it turns out, are sodomites. Um, but, 
you know, I'm not going to say most of them are Satanists. That that's not true. In fact, I'm I suspect that the number of actual Satanists is relatively small. But there are Satanists inside of the Vatican. There are black masses and and uh, rituals that worship Satan going on inside of the Vatican. It is possible that we are now to the point where they're doing something like this in order to actually manifest blasphemy. And then you've got, you know, apologists for this saying, well, this is just people who are stupid and who are prudes who see a nude and freak out. I, I just don't even know what to say that. I mean, to, to think that you could look at, you know, some of the incredible sculpture in the world, um, you know, Bernini, um, Cellini, John Bologna, um, even Michelangelo. Obviously, David is as naked as the day he was born. And these are absolute treasures, absolute treasures. And I, I worry so much about the fact that when the Musloids overrun Europe, that this artistic patrimony is probably all going to be destroyed. Um, now, we're going to have digital images, and I, I would hope that... Um, you know, people in Italy, in France, in the Louvre, in Germany, where all of these these incredible masterworks reside, I, I would have to hope and pray that by now they've done something to, you know, make a laser cast in a sense, so that if if the originals are destroyed by Musloids, that at some point in the future we'll be able to. Um, you know, recast, remold, recreate, you know, copies of these works of art. But I fully, I fully expect that most of this artistic patrimony, um, especially the sculpture, the paintings and so forth, that it's all going to be destroyed by musloids. T to argue that I'm the sort of person who looks at nudes in art and I'm scandalized by that is just, that's just absolutely ridiculous it's completely and totally ridiculous i'll tell you what i am though i'm smart enough and i'm savvy enough to know the difference between you know a masterwork of art um involving a nude be it in painting or in sculpture or whatever and obvious homoeroticism which is what that Vatican nativity scene is and it's been confirmed as such don't let people I mean I don't think Maureen Malarkey is is trying to gaslight um, she's not trying to say to me maliciously oh Anne you're crazy um, I just think she's wrong I think she's mistaken now the the fag Jesuit priest James Martin who who we prayed for we did a novena for him he was tonight um I saw he was on Twitter and he was accusing of all people the most respected Vatican reporter, Edward Penton. Um, I mean, and every everything I've ever heard about Edward Penton is that he's just about one of the straightest, most normal, down to earth, rock solid, morally solid guys you'll ever want to meet. And James Martin is on Twitter accusing Edward Penton of being a sex pervert because he sees homoerotica in the Vatican nativity scene, even though we know that it was specifically produced as gay agitprop by a gay shrine in Italy, and all of the gay groups in Italy are celebrating the fact that they have their gay Madonna and their gay nativity scene and uh, in the Vatican 
uh, in the Vatican right now and, you know, accusing that's gaslighting when someone like James Martin, who knows damn good and well exactly what it is, um, when he comes in and says, well, if you see a naked body and you think it's homoerotica, then that must mean that you're the sex pervert. That, ladies and gentlemen, is textbook gaslighting do not fall for it um it's it's pretty obvious to see what the difference is between art and homoerotica and that's obviously what's going on with the vatican thing which i guess gets into the uh the matthew 1720 initiative um there's definitely a problem going on in rome right now and 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 we need a resolution to this this kind of corruption starts from the top this is we did not see this kind of stuff when um, Benedict was widely acknowledged as being the Pope. Uh, and I, I realize there's, there are more people than just Anne who believe that he still is, but the, let's face it, the, the vast majority of the world don't believe that Benedict is still the Pope. But this kind of crap didn't happen when he was acknowledged as being the head of the church. So Matthew seventeen twenty initiative, if you want to recap that real quick, um, sure. we definitely, you know, definitely could benefit from things being cleaned up. Absolutely. So what I'm doing is full fasting two days a week. Um, the days that I've chosen are Tuesday and Friday, and I chose them because they are the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. And um, also just logistically, it kind of worked out better for me. And I will also say that when, for example, if I have a dinner that I have to go to on a Friday night, I will either anticipate to Thursday or bump to Saturday. That's not a big deal. But making the effort to full fast, and that means not eating anything for 24 hours, um, two days a week. And what the intention is, the way I pray the intention is this, that Bergoglio be publicly acknowledged and removed as anti-pope, that the entire Bergoglian anti-papacy be, be publicly nullified, that Ratzinger be publicly acknowledged to have been the one and only pope all along. And then here's the really important part, <laughs> that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and eventually achieve the beatific vision, and likewise that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of what he has done, die in a state of grace, and achieve the beatific vision. Um, anything less than that, anything less than that is failure. It's not acceptable. We have to get these men to heaven. We have to pray them into heaven. And that includes, that includes Jorge Bergoglio, who, I mean, it, it's obvious that my contempt for this man is enormous um and i am convinced that there is a there's a very good chance that he is in fact the false prophet forerunner of the antichrist but in, but until we have absolute confirmation of that and i don't know maybe even after we would have absolute confirmation of that um you still have to be desirous that these people repent um in the case of bergoglio who i mean it, it's really difficult at this point to even argue that he's catholic um revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision. I mean, anything less than that is going to be, is going to be a complete tragedy. Anyone going to hell is a complete tragedy. And, um, you know, Bergoglio, it's, it, it, one can't even, one can't even fully describe the, the, the jeopardy that this man is in. And, um, just again, with regards to Ratzinger, 
in my opinion, he's the worst. He's the worst pope ever now for what he's done for this this horrible, horrible error that he has made for succumbing for, you know, succumbing and allowing himself to be manipulated and to to flee for fear of the wolves to abandon to abandon the flock abandon the church and try to do this this sleazy halfway well i'm still going to be the pope but i'm only going to be the contemplative pope and i'm going to expand the papacy into a collegial synodal office and i'll be the contemplative pope and my successor can then be elected and he'll be the active pope no sorry no, I'm sorry. This this is just German sleezing your way out of out of your responsibilities. And for what he's done, he is the worst pope ever. And so we have to pray for him too. But at the same time, if you know, it doesn't really matter which of the the, the bishops in white you recognize as a pope. We're we're looking for a resolution to this where the maximum numbers of souls are saved. I mean, we there's something very foul in the state of Denmark. But unlike mm. Hamlet, we're not asking for people to be taken in their sins and cast into hell. We want them in heaven for all eternity. Yes. And a lot of things are going to have to change between now and then. But, you know, with fasting and, and, and uh, prayer, all things are possible with God. So, And in fact, that's why it's called the Matthew seventeen twenty initiative, because that's the verse where our Lord says, only through prayer and fasting can you drive this sort out. So that's what we have to do. And in terms of free and open competition, um, if you have other ideas for uh, prayer ideas or, or, or petitions for solving the problem in Rome, hey, the more the merrier. <laughs> That's right. Free, free competition right. And, and, and working toward a solution is always going to work. Um, I think that's pretty much a podcast. I think that's a podcast, and you know, this is the last one we're going to do before Christmas. We're so I don't think we're going to do one before Christmas, so no, we should. There, uh, there are give way our... too many logistic things between now and Monday uh, on on my schedule. It, it, it's not going to happen. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to get get one in between before or between now and New Year's. Um, have a little bit of a wrap up show there for for twenty seventeen, and 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 um, look forward to twenty eighteen. Indeed. And just give our undying thanks. Um, money's been coming into Super Nerd and offers of money to help with um, uh, defending the website and so forth. Uh, again, thank you all for your munificence. And certainly thank you all for the munificence that has come directly my way. Just absolutely incredible. Um, be assured of my prayers. God bless every one of you. I hope you all have an absolutely wonderful, delightful Christmas, a holy Christmas. And um, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Absolutely. And, and uh, I think I mentioned earlier, there were a couple of people, two or three people who, who uh, had, had said, hey, that, that higher level tier on, on Cloudflare that, that uh, you were talking about, I'm, I'm willing to pay for it. And I, I, I contacted those people back and said, let me, let me make sure that this is actually something that's going to make a difference. Um, right. As of right now, I don't think it is. So I, I'm not going to take money to, I'm not going to waste money on stuff like this. I mean, exactly. We, we want to yep. keep this as, as, as slim and nimble as possible. I am, I am covertly, well, covertly. I'm working on plan C that has nothing to do with WordPress so that I think would um, make things more nimble. And um, uh, I'll, I'll contact those, those, uh, those folks if, if I need um, some more funding for, for things like that. But I think we're good for the time being. But uh, general reminder, though, every Monday through Thursday, there's a mass offered for Anne's benefactors. And once a week, there is a requiem mass for all souls who died during the previous week. There's no need to request to uh, have somebody remembered. It's just everyone who died the previous week. Please remember to join your intentions with these masses, and please also pray for the priests as well. Uh, two of them are deployed downrange, definitely putting the militant and church militant. So mm -hmm. keep them in your prayers, please. 
feedback, comments, questions, uh, corrections if I got something wrong about net neutrality or how Trader Joe's sparkling water is delivered. My email address <laughs> is podcast at barnhart.biz. Actually, that's the joint podcast. That, that email address goes to both Ann and me. Uh, if you want to email me directly, I'm email at supernerdmedia.com. Uh, send the hate mail for not understanding net neutrality to me. Leave Anna out of that, please. <laughs> this podcast No, is, I want to see it. I love hate mail. <laughs> I want to okay, see it, Okay, fine. Send it, send, you don't get to have all the fun. <laughs> I'll send, send it all to podcast at barnhart.biz then. This podcast is a Super Nerd Media production. I want to thank recent donors Matthew L., Carol K., Michael R., and KCK, who sent in one-time donations through PayPal. And I want to thank also Arthur and PMJ, who have a recurring monthly donation. Thank you very much for that. And I don't recall if I thanked Richard P. or not for his recent donation. Thank you very much for your generosity. And I also want to thank the folks who contacted me saying, oh, you just said that, uh, who were willing to kick in on, on, the, um, uh, on the site defense fund. Uh, I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I think we're fine right now. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to support this podcast and learn more about the hosting contingencies and, and uh, more about this, you can find more information at supernerdmedia.com slash donate. Uh, we mentioned the Matthew 1720 initiative. It's awesome. Although we're getting to a very cel- celebratory time of year, uh, you're free to do your, your fasting and penance any day of the week, but don't do fasting on Sundays or holy days. And we're going to have a few of right. those coming up. So uh, yep. parting thoughts between now and Christmas. Um, just, just thanks guys. That's all, all I can do is try to, express my gratitude over and over and over again and um everybody stay safe out there stay frosty keep your head on a swivel buy more guns buy more ammo and uh take care of yourselves amen until next time i am super nerd and i'm ann thanks guys god bless 